0: Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Church Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people take their next step to move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at We pray that your life is transformed through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group life pastor, Tim Smith. One of the reasons we wanted to use that powerful song leading into the message was because of the title of it. It's, How Can It Be?, but there's also a line in that song that kind of we can use as a springboard into the topic today as we conclude our series, Hope Rising. And the line was simply this, I've been hiding, afraid I let you down, doubt inside, inside I doubt that you could ever love me. You ever feel that way? I have. Maybe it's times when I feel life's injustice, that I've been treated unfairly, and I kind of hide behind my doubt that's inside, Then I go, you know what, are you a God that's just out there and you don't even care what I'm going through? Or maybe it's those times when I really struggle with that temptation, you know, that I've tried to beat again and again, and I can hide behind the doubt that says, could you still love me? Or there have been times in my life when I have suffered real severe personal tragedy, and I can hide behind the doubt that even asks, God, do you even exist at all? Because I'm hurting, and I don't hear you, or I don't see you, or I just wonder. Sometimes I think, you know, if I could have just lived in the time of Jesus, where I could be around him, could watch him, then I wouldn't have times like I just described. But then I look at the guys who not only lived around him, but lived with him. (laughs) I know that's not true. (laughs) Point in case. Mary was the mother of Jesus, and she was related to a woman by the name of Elizabeth. Most scholars think they may have been first cousins. But at one point, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth when she's pregnant with Jesus, and she finds that Elizabeth is also pregnant. You can read the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and Matthew, the first chapter, but basically when Mary comes to Elizabeth, she finds that Elizabeth is pregnant with John, the guy we know as John the Baptist. And in that situation, we understand that Jesus and John are not only related physically, but they have a spiritual relationship that's enormous. In fact, when Jesus turns 30, he begins his ministry by going to the Jordan River to be baptized, and who baptizes him but John. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, Matthew 3 tells us that as he comes up out of the water, and John's got to be close to him, close proximity to him, that the sky opened and a voice from heaven said this, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So John had to hear that. And yet, and this may surprise you, This man, who was so close to Jesus, who knew him so well, who was even related to him, had a time in his life when things were not going well, and he expressed indecisiveness in doubt. What? How could that be? How could this guy do that? And yet, that's exactly what we find, that he gets to a place in his life where he really wonders who Jesus is. Is he, say, is he who he says he is? In fact, John may have been thinking, you know what, I've been preaching all this time, and I've been pointing everybody to Jesus, and I'm wondering, is he really who he said he is? is have I made a mistake? Well, we want to use John's doubt, and more importantly, Jesus' answer to his doubt, to give us an opportunity to discuss and understand how we can hold on to hope even when circumstances are unfair or when situations put doubt in our minds. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew, the 11th chapter. If you have a device and you have a Bible on your device, you can use that. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up free from our welcome counters. But let's look at this incident and learn together. First of all, I think it would be very helpful to understand how John came to this point of questioning and a loss of hope. Well, Matthew, the 11th chapter, in the second verse, says it pretty succinctly. It simply says, when John, who was in prison? Now, if you're comfortable underlining in your Bible, you might want to underline who was in prison because that's where John is. Here is a moment in the life of this great preacher and the forerunner, of the Son of God, who had repeatedly pointed to Jesus and said, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's here in a horrible dungeon now that John resides. Now, how do he get there? By telling the truth. (laughs) In fact, when you go to Mark the sixth chapter, you, you may see John as the first, I don't care about political correctness guy, because John is honest. In fact, some would say has tactless honesty honesty, that, that actually got him into this fix, into this dungeon. You see, John had this habit of confronting wrong no matter where he saw it. He saw it in the religious leaders, and he confronted them with their failings, but he also confronted the sin of King Herod. Now, Herod, in that time, was a Jew and he was a politician. He was not a real king. He was just kind of a figurehead king that Rome, who occupied Israel, had made him kind of um, as somebody that that they could call king, (laughs) that they would have a representative, so to speak. He didn't have any real subjects, but John had a real problem with him. In fact, in Mark the 6th chapter and 18th verse, we read this. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John. Why? Because he kept on saying, in other words, he kept repeating this, that it was wrong for the king to marry Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And his brother Philip is very much alive. Now, this is probably going to be hard for us to relate with, but the politicians in John's day were accused often of scandal. I know we can't really kind of grasp that. But in this case, Herod is married to his brother Philip's wife, and not only is Philip alive, Philip and Herodias aren't even divorced. In fact, William Barclay, who's a historian, tells us that apparently this woman married Philip because of his wealth, and then when she found out his brother, actually his stepbrother, was wealthier and had more power, she just moved over to him. (laughs) That might be enterprising in terms of the culture, but it was very displeasing to God. And everyone knew it. They just kind of tolerated it, after all. What two consenting adults do behind doors is a private matter, right? And what does their private affair have to do with their public service? Well, John begged to differ. In fact, in Mark the 6th chapter and the 18th verse, as we read it, it says he kept on saying. He just kept on at it, telling Herod. John kept bringing the issue up. Now, we're not sure that he talked to Herod privately. I personally think he probably did but he certainly didn't pull any punches publicly, and he kept saying, stop. What you're doing is wrong. Herodias needs to go back to her husband. They need to see if they can work this out. Well, Herod apparently, according to Scripture, feared John or at least respected him in some way, actually says he liked to listen to him, but his wife Herodias was far from a happy camper. In fact, in Mark 6, chapter 19, verse, it says this, Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, because she, but she was not able to because Herod feared John. He respected John. What's the old saying? <laughs> that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? Well, Herodias had been publicly scorned, and she wanted to shut John's big mouth any way that she could do it. And she finally got her way. That's why in verse 17 of Mark 6, it tells us, for Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias and stop her nagging. Okay, it doesn't say stop her nagging, but you know that's what it was about, right? (laughs) So this is where we find John. He's in prison for telling the truth. You know, one of the reasons that people often lose hope and doubt is due to unfair or adverse circumstances? I mean, think about it. Why was John in jail? He's no criminal. John had prepared the way for Jesus and then gotten out of the way by saying he's the son of God. He said, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. That's not deserving of a dungeon. (laughs) How could God allow this? And if Jesus was God's son, why didn't he rescue him? What possible good could come of John being shut up in a prison? He couldn't preach he couldn't point other people to Jesus, he couldn't baptize anyone. This is so hard. In fact, did you know that according to a Pew study, the number one reason why people say they don't believe in God and the number one reason for deconversion, that is people who believed in God but turned away from him, is this one. It's the difficulty and questions of pain and suffering. You know. If there really is a God, it kind of goes like this, and if he's good, then he could, and he would, and he should. (laughs) Stop my mom from having cancer. Or how could a loving God allow something like 9-11 or the Boston Marathon bombing or San Bernardino or Orlando to happen? I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? And on and on it goes. Listen, as a longtime committed believer, I get it because I've had those times too. It's hard not to question the care or the existence of God when we're going through difficult circumstances. So here's John, a faithful servant of God in jail, and I think he knew that his life was in grave danger. I mean, why didn't God at least speak to him like he did his father, Zechariah, through an angel and explain what was happening? And where was Jesus in all this? Because while John is rotting away in a cell, Jesus is roaming the countryside, gaining popularity. I think that it's really easy to understand why John might feel the hope just kind of seeping out of him why he would doubt. And that's why it is absolutely critically important to see what he did with this feeling. Let's look at what he did. In Matthew 11, chapter the second verse, we don't see John lashing out at God. We don't see him giving up on God. It says this that John sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him. That is, even facing death, John is a great example of hope explored. Seeking honestly, going directly to the source. You see, it doesn't do us much good to just respond to our problems emotionally. We need to make sure that we're going to the source to find answers for those times that hope might be eluding us. Now, John didn't have the Bible like we have it today, but he had the one that the Bible was written about. And so he went directly to Jesus by sending messengers to him with his question. You see, I... I think there are at least two types of spiritual seekers. There are those that I would call insincere seekers. They express their doubt or they live in such a way that their lack of commitment to God is evident, but they really don't take the time to explore or take the time or effort to really dig into this. I mean, they may look for some loopholes when they're lying on their deathbed, but for the most part, they don't really seek an answer in their more honest moments, they might admit that they really don't want to have an answer, <laughs> because if they do, it might mean swallowing pride and bowing before a creator creator, and becoming repentant and changing a lifestyle. But for most of the insincere seekers, they don't really seek at all. They're not interested in the truth. It's kind of like, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. But listen, it's insincere and dishonest to say, I don't believe in God because of this or this or that, and never take the time to really wrestle to the ground your doubt. And if that explains or or, or kind of describes you, I don't say that unlovingly. I just ask you to ask yourself, am I willing to seek the truth, or quite frankly, am I more comfortable to just stay in my ignorance? Because there's a second group, and that's sincere seekers. This person openly admits he or she has questions and will objectively explore and evaluate the evidence. Galileo, the great scientist, once said, doubt is the father of discovery. And I have talked to many people who have problems with God or Christianity or the church And you ask them, hey, listen, have you really explored your doubt? Have you talked to anyone who has been through situations like you and and still has hope in God? Have you read the Bible and what it says about that? And most of the time, they have to admit they haven't. Listen, if you are a sincere seeker and you really want the truth, you've got to do what John did. Ask. And please understand this. It's okay (laughs) God is all right with your questions. He can handle your questions, even your accusations. Just ask people in the Bible, like Job or the prophet Habakkuk or Thomas. These guys were placed in the Bible and they openly expressed their questions. Yes. God says, listen, you can either accept or not accept, but if you really have questions, God honors and appreciates the sincere seeker, and that's what John was. He was willing to explore his hope by openly admitting and expressing his question. He didn't jump to conclusions. He just sent his disciples or his messenger straight to the source, and here's his question in verse 3. He simply asked, Jesus, are you the one who is to come Or should we expect someone else? Now remember what we said when we got started here. This is the same guy who was related to Jesus. This is the same guy who baptized Jesus. He had to know the stories of Jesus' birth. I just cannot imagine that his mom didn't tell him about what might have been his Aunt Mary, who, you know, had this conception of a person as a virgin, and that also when Mary first came to Elizabeth, that John, who was in her womb, Elizabeth's womb, actually leapt for joy at seeing Mary because Jesus was in her womb. I can't imagine that she didn't tell him that. And yet, if there's anybody that should have understood that Jesus is the one, John's got questions. I think this shows us the the power of unjust and unfair circumstances for all of us, that he would question his hope, but he explored his hope by asking, and his reward was hope verified. Jesus knew that John was a sincere and honest seeker. In fact, that's why Jesus answers in verse 4 this. He says, you go back and you tell John what you hear and see. In other words, you take back to John what you see me doing. You take back to John what you see me doing. And notice, Jesus doesn't get angry with John. He doesn't say, John, of all people, one of my kin, <laughs> and you're the one that's asking these questions? No. Listen, listen, some of you have understandable and honest doubts. You've been through some stuff, and you wanna, you wanna accept that, that God's existence is fact. You, you, you wanna believe that there's life after death, and you wanna believe in this Jesus. And so I want you to know, and look up here, this is critically important. God is not angry at you if you have those questions. God is not upset because you're upset. <laughs> God can handle this. He's not up in heaven wringing his hands going, boy, I sure hope they don't ask a question, I don't know. (laughs) God's okay with it. He's not threatened with it. In fact, he's not going to scold you, even though some churches, that's all they do is just pound on the guilt. How dare you ask that kind of question if you really believed you wouldn't ask that question? Nonsense. Here's John. (laughs) But he's willing to go to the source because he realized what we need to realize and that is that our hope is firmly fastened to the claims of Jesus Christ. So here is the word for the day. In fact, if you don't hear anything else in this message, I hope you hear this. When your hope is elusive or when you have doubt, investigate. <laughs> investigate. God is not only unafraid of that investigation, he welcomes it. Isaiah 118, he says, come, come. Now, let us reason together. In other words, let's work this out together. Let's settle your doubts. Let's wrestle them to the ground. Paul, in the New Testament, was certainly an atheist in terms of whether he believed in Jesus or not. He not only didn't believe in Jesus, he killed Christians. But he came around, and it's him, Paul that writes in Romans ten seventeen. Listen, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. In other words, Get into it. (laughs) Investigate it. And I say this not only to those of you who may be going through some times or or, are thinking, I don't even know if God exists, but I, I also want to say this to you. For those of you who say you believe, but you've really not investigated your own belief. I know many believers who were taught their faith as children who are taught all about God and Jesus, but they have never investigated those teachings themselves. You are believing in what I call a somebody-told-me God. (laughs) That is, this isn't your faith. It's your parents' or your grandparents' or your friends' faith. And here's the problem with that. If all you believe in is a somebody-told-me God, when you're questioned by that brilliant professor... Or when life hands you some of the injustice and unfairness that can handle it to you, you're somebody God is more likely to crumble than knot. Because all it is is somebody else's faith. You haven't really investigated it yourself. You can find yourself, all of us can, with questions like John that you can't answer. So you gotta do what John did. You investigate the claims of Jesus yourself. In fact, let me put a plug in here for beginnings that we have on Tuesday night. In fact, this Tuesday, if you don't come to any other session of the seven but this one, because we're going to ask this question on Tuesday night, who is Jesus? you got to investigate the claims of Jesus. Because I like what C.S. Lewis, who was a brilliant Oxford scholar who didn't believe in Jesus but came to place his hope in Christ because he investigated his claims, I like what he said. He said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. (laughs) I mean, it's either true, which means it's the most important thing in the world, or it's not true, which means it's not of any importance. It just can't be moderately important. (laughs) You see, what he's saying there is If you understand that Jesus claimed to be God, that means either he was a liar because he claimed to be God and he knew he wasn't, or he's a lunatic because he claimed to be God and didn't know the difference, or he's exactly who he says he is, he's Lord, because he's God. But true or false, one thing that can't be is moderately important. So I ask you, are you still believing in a somebody told me God? (laughs) You know, if you think that you're supposed to be treated fair all the time, and if you think that you're never supposed to have any problems, that's what somebody told me, God, if somebody told you that. (laughs) That's not the God that Jesus tells us about. Is that who your God is? Or have you, or are you willing to investigate his claims? Listen, listen. Holding on to hope, holding on to hope is not based on what's happening to you, but is fastened onto what Jesus is doing around you. And one of the best ways I know to find that to be true is to talk to people who have been through all kinds of difficulty and adverse circumstances and are still faithful and they've still gone through those experiences and say, I believe that Jesus is true. Talk to them. If you don't know who, you have somebody like that, then come to us, we'll point you to some people. (laughs) Because you can see what God is doing around you through them. But you can also be introduced to people who did not believe, but upon investigation they do. Let let me recommend several people and books to you. Josh McDowell was one of five children born to William McDowell. Josh struggled with low self-esteem in his youth because his father was an alcoholic and abusive, but Josh suffered terribly with any kind of belief because he was sexually abused repeatedly as a child by a farm hand, Wayne Bailey, from the age of 6 to 13. And so when, John, or when Josh was, a, was a, an adult, a young adult, and went to college, he decided to pursue a legal career in Battle Creek, Michigan. And at the time, he says, I was at best an agnostic, and, and I decided that I was going to prepare a paper to examine the evidence of Christianity and disprove it. However, after examining the evidence, he came out on the other side of that paper convinced it was true. And now he has written such works as more than a carpenter, an evidence that demands a verdict. I could tell you a similar story about Lee Strobel, who was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, who was an atheist. But after investigating the claims of Christ, he has now written such books as a case for a creator, a case for Christ, a case for Christmas, and many more. Or C.S. Lewis, who we talked about just a few minutes ago. Many of you may know him in writing the Chronicles of Narnia, but he was an atheist, much due to the horrors of war. But he became a Christian after investigating the claims of Jesus Christ, and he wrote what I believe to be one of the best books on investigation entitled Mere Christianity. And these are just a few. Listen, if a friend called you and said, I just heard on the radio that if you call the radio station, within an hour you'll get $1,000. What would you do? Oh, you might first say, oh, you're kidding me. But if he kept insisting, I know what I'd do, I'd call the radio station. (laughs) I mean, what's the worst that could happen? i get a little embarrassed because they don't have that kind of thing now. I'd want to know. Did I get (laughs) $1,000? Listen, listen. Jesus offers so much more. He offers eternal life and the blessings of heaven, free riches for eternity. They're yours if you will accept Jesus Christ as God's son. Submit your life to him. Wouldn't it be absolutely crazy to get to the end of your life and miss out just because you didn't take the time to honestly investigate the claims of Jesus? But Not only did Jesus tell John's disciples to to tell him what they had seen and heard, but starting with verse 5, Jesus gives John three principles of his kingdom that John would have been very familiar with. You see, John knew the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And so Jesus used that, and he was basically saying to John and to us, listen, not only can you investigate my claims... But you also can understand that your hope can be firmly fastened by focusing on my kingdom principles. Because, you see, Jesus knew that John would understand. Now, I don't think the messengers, the disciples of John, really got it. In fact, Gene Edwards, in his book, The Prisoner in the Third Cell, relates how he thinks this answer affected John's disciples. After hearing Jesus' answer, he writes this. John's three disciples stood... Stunned. After a long moment of obvious confusion, they turned and made their departure. And when they give John the answer, they very honestly say, Teacher, the answer is very strange. We don't understand it. And then they gave him the answer. They tell him, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor." But while that sounded like a cryptic answer to John's disciples, it made perfect sense to John. Because, see, John had preached the kingdom of God. He had said, it's at hand. And Jesus gave him a message about that kingdom that he knew about because of his knowledge of the Old Testament and of the scriptures of his time. And it was a message that basically said, John, everything's going as planned. And these are kingdom characteristics that you know very well. Here's number one. It is a kingdom where the rejected are received. He said, the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. You know who those were? Those were the shunned ones of Jesus' day. No name, no place, no value. But those who are called trash in the world are called treasure by Jesus And John would have remembered the Scripture in Isaiah 29, 18, where it predicted that the Messiah, the One, the Son of God, would come. And at that time, the deaf will hear, the blind will see. And I can see John's eyes lit up just a little bit because he realizes that this is a kingdom, yes, that he is known about, where people are not valued because of how they look or what they do, but because of whose they are. In a world where the value of people is by their size, of their salary, or their shape, or their body, God measures it by the heart. That was a reason for hope. And then Jesus told him the kingdom principle number two. It's a kingdom where the dead are raised. I think John's eyes opened a little wider because he remembered Ezekiel 37, 13, where God said the Messiah, the chosen one, that I will open your graves and bring you out. Certainly only the son of God, the king of kings, could do that. And I think John knew in that moment in that dungeon that no matter what happened to him, he would never truly die. And then, thirdly, Jesus told him kingdom principle number three, the poor become rich. John's nodding his head now, yes, yes. Yes, because he remembers Isaiah 61.1 that says the chosen one, the Messiah, would preach the good news to the poor and bind up the brokenhearted. And the poor in this case are not the ones with no money, but they're the ones that understand their poorness as compared to God's perfection. You see, Jesus is telling John, listen, my kingdom is a kingdom where membership is granted, not purchased by the members. It's a kingdom where the contrite those who understand they could never do enough, but admit they can't do enough to get admitted. Only God can admit you, admit you. And what do they receive? They receive the binding and balm of forgiveness. This is the kingdom that Jesus proclaims to John. And maybe John at this point said to his disciples, Hey, don't you get it? It's Him. He's establishing the kingdom of God. It's not a physical kingdom, it's God's kingdom of acceptance, of eternal life, and forgiveness. And then maybe his disciples said, Well, there was one more thing, John. Jesus said, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on economy. And I think John's head just bowed. And he nodded slowly and maybe he prayed, God, I will not fall away from you. I will be faithful even to the end. And his doubt had been erased. His hope had been verified. And yes, he died. He was beheaded with hope rising. So we're back to our original question. How do you hang on to hope? When the circumstances of this life can bring doubt, you do what John did. When the doubts arise and the fears assail, I challenge you, go to the source. Come to Jesus. Come openly. Come objectively investigating the truth. And if you will come to him, you will find exactly what John found, a person who promises to receive you, forgive you, and resurrect you, giving you the riches of heaven. And then he will say to you, just as he said to John, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Would you bow your heads with me for a minute? I want to just lead us, especially kind of depending where you are, for three groups of people. And I would just ask you, if we get to your group as we describe it, just, just ask God to help you. First of all, maybe you're one of those sincere seekers. You just don't get it. You're having a hard time believing in God. You've been through some things that just put you in that place. Even if you don't, aren't ready to say God exists, just, just say to Him in your heart, God, help me to investigate you. Give me the courage. I need the courage to check this out, to check out your claims. And maybe you're a little past that, but you've heard today that. You're relying on a somebody told me, God, that your faith is really not yours. It's your parents or it's your grandparents or whatever it is. Just would you tell God right now with this challenge and just say to him, God, I'm going to dig into this. I, I'm, I'm going to make my faith, if, if it's going to be there, I'm going to make it my own. And then if you're a committed believer and have been through this and, and you trust completely, Jesus and his claims, then I'm going to challenge you to pray every day that somebody will be put in your path that you could share with them what you have experienced, you've seen and heard because of Jesus Christ. So, Father, that's our prayer this morning, even as we close, that all three of these groups would be able to, to come to a point where they would say, God, would you have me of me, I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to make this faith my own. I want, oh God, for seekers to be put in my path so that I can help them. May we learn even from John in this way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you'd like to find out more about Northridge, visit our website at northridgechristian.com. If you'd like to stay connected throughout the week, download our ChurchLink app today for your iOS or Android device.